Oh, play me some mountain music. You know this one? Uh, of course I know this one. Like grandma and grandpa used to play. Andre. Never heard of it. What's he going to do next? Then I'll float on down the river. To where? To that cage and hide away. Hey. I can't hit the high note. Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives, where I sing country music at the beginning for absolutely no reason. That's Cullen. I'm Adam. And we are joined once again by a third guest, uh, our third host on the podcast, a guest. And his name is the one and only Andre Andre. Franklin. Andre Franklin. How's it going? Welcome, Andre. Yes. Um... We will get to know Andre a little bit, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? How do you know us, Andre? So, I know Cullen and Adam. He's like, I don't know y'all. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. They like, kidnapped yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the hell are these people? They actually brought me some, uh, somewhere from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Andre is too cool to be hanging out with us, y'all. That's, yeah. that's, so, that's, so, that's so I know Cullen and Adam. We, we were in school together for what? I mean... For a couple of years, I mean, yeah. three years at least. At least three years. Did you years. graduate? Did you graduate? Two thousand sixteen. Yes. You, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you mm-hmm. graduated with me. Yeah. The year yeah. after me. Yep. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. So I, I think I came in as green as possible. Yeah. To amen. HBU. <laughs> and Cullen and I were talking about this. Yeah. Cullen and I were talking about this. I, I took a David Capes class. Yeah. And failed miserable <laughs> I was like, miser- what was okay what was the class it was, it was the gospel of john oh man oh. And so and so for me at that so at, so at that point so like i was just using bible study tools online okay yeah yeah two yeah, years yeah. Right. you know only been a christian for a couple years yeah and so i had like my my john piper yeah you know desiring god and a couple <laughs> others right you know just like thinking that these are the holy grails and i get to david oh, case class i'm like what is this language <laughs> like we're reading Greek. You mean there's you know? other books? It, yeah. <laughs> Man, it you is, better know that you better know yeah. the nine signs and them oh, seven I am statements. <laughs> and and the tests just were miserable and I just was like Yeah, this is tough, man. I I didn't know we were gonna read a different language. I think this is a this is gonna be a different experience. Yeah. And like hey, I got a hold of it. Shout! Yeah, you've had a Capes class. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, oh oh oh! This is a great question. Who's the hardest professor at HBU or HCU now? Oh, that's easy. That hands down. I hey. think I know. Yeah. yeah. I, think I, know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this might be slightly racist, but the Nigerian Santa Claus. Yeah. The the Apostle the, of Joy. The, the Apostle of Joy. Yeah. The Felici, one and only. Sorry, I don't right know, man. I, I I think Felicia was probably one of my easier one of my man, easier professors. That dude made me memorize the entire family tree. <laughs> Of all yeah, the yeah, kings yeah. Sure. from like prophets region. Which, or which like for me was like which for me was fine. It just was like, I mean, there was no yeah, I I enjoyed his classes. Man, I made a ninety six on that and he told me that was the highest score he'd ever given on that test. And I felt so validated and I was like still didn't get four <laughs> points. <laughs> I, mean, Felici, man, I think he taught me he taught me a lot about uh a lot about writing. That like oh I well think, that's the thing that's what yeah. was so hard he was such a he was so on top of the grammar and yes. the structure and all that syntax I learned the word syntax from <laughs> an Old Testament uh, uh, professor exactly I, yeah well I think the thing that makes Doctor Sogway so interesting is you know like his undergrad is like chemistry and math he's like a double major in like chemistry and math or something sure and I so can he see just, that he like yeah he just views he just has a worldview of numbers and things that is dude is smart. Yes. Mm. <laughs> it's like stupid yes. smart. Dude is smart, yeah. smart. Yeah. Like, and, and yeah. And just think, and I think, you know, almost, um, 
maybe I shouldn't draw this connection, but like almost, almost in like a, um, low level autistic kind of smart way that, <laughs> that they just expect everyone else around them should also be able to do something that seems so rudimentary to them. Yeah. Well, sometimes people just be smart and they it's just true. think everybody that, you know, the social awkwardness well, of smartness. Well, I don't, I, I think it had to do with also, I, I, I don't know if he was first generation. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Is it's, he's alive. Yeah. First generation going to college or first no, generation no, American. American. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so like, a lot of whenever you learn a language, yeah, sure. He he had to be more proficient than a lot of yeah, Americans for sure. In language, and didn't he do an engineering degree at Washington yes. University? Yeah. yeah, like homeboy is not is no dummy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, he did an engineering degree at Washington, yeah. and then he has two PhDs. Mm, right, he has his PhD yeah. in theology, yeah. and then he has a PhD in like biochem yeah. or something. Well, I think it was so important because it was like for me, it was it was like you know you can have great ideas, but if you can't communicate those ideas, hey, there you go. That, that, right, well, it's a good way. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Okay, hey, uh, the, yeah. one of the things we do on this uh, on this podcast, thanks for introducing yourself and letting the people know where you come from, uh, at least how you know us. But we'll get to know you a little bit more as we continue on through the conversations. Andre will be with us for two episodes, this one and the next one. Uh, but the first thing we do on these, Dre, is mm. we do drink beer. It is called Pints and Perspectives, yes. after all. <laughs> this beer that we have today, I'm pulling out of the cellar because we forgot to get beer, and this was a last-second thing. So both beers today, <laughs> both beers today are cellared beers, which means they are big, bad, and boozy. This is a 10.5% alcohol by volume uh, beer, and it might be a little early in the morning for this. This is the Real Ale Brewing Company Sisyphus hey, Barley real, Wine. I read this, and thought it said syphilis <laughs> i hey, was like adam i hey, have y'all hey, know syphilis is up i know oh, yeah. man. <laughs> like 128 percent amongst women in the city i know yeah, it's yeah. wild yeah yeah uh, I, don't, I mean you can't trust social media nowadays but I, I mean, <laughs> bro that wasn't social media that was like the news that was NBC <laughs> <the laughs> news reporting that's like the out. Houston medical examiner is <laughs> <laughs> like hey get oh, tested anyways this is the Sisyphus let me tell you about it inspired by the labor intensive process of brewing this beer in our original brew house Sisyphus was our first seasonal release Due to this is a Texas beer. Due to popular demand, it later moved into our year-round lineup. They release it once a year, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the complex citrus notes provided by a healthy portion of hops are balanced by the rich toffee undertones of the malt. Its bold, intense, and warming quality makes it a great nightcap <laughs> at ten point five. Mm. Vintage dated. <laughs> Drink it now. Or save it for later, uh, and so my intention was to save it for later, uh, and we'll. Uh, but you know, oh, it is available year round. Okay, all right, it is available year round. Used to when I first started drinking this beer, it was uh, that seasonal thing. You can get it in the Bomber, which is what we're going to be sharing today, or you can find it on draft in a few good spots. Dre, yes. Dre, are you a beer drinker? Tell us about your beer experience if I you have any. Be. Yeah, can be beer. Beer tends to. It's it tends to bloat me up pretty quick. Yeah. So it's like definitely. So I have to choose either between bread or beer. Right. Okay. And I'm gonna choose bread on average oh. if I'm honest. Well, what if you're yeah. not having bread and like then I'll probably my, my drink of choice would probably be whiskey or, or yeah. scotch. In which I did have some whiskey or scotch last night. Do you right. do you gravitate more towards uh spirits or wine? Ooh, that's a good question. I think it that's depends on I think it depends on the uh it depends on the day 
the mood, the vibe. Does Terry <laughs> drink whiskey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Oh, yes. Uh, T. So it's not T like, gets down. Yeah. Terry's my wife. Not like on date night. my wife. What up? What up, T? Yeah. Not like on date night where you're going to wine just because Terry doesn't like. Uh, no, no, like, no. no. She okay. drinks whiskey. Yeah. Nice, nice. And so, yeah, but I think I think wine. I think wine for me is is kind of. I, I probably would drink wine more often than I drink whiskey. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that's pretty true of me too. So Sisyphus. Anybody know who Sisyphus is? The what this beer is named after. OpenAI does. Don't you dare chat GPT. Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Sisyphus is uh, the medieval astronomer, nope. correct? Greek mythology. Damn. Uh, Sisyphus is like Related a, to the stars? Nope. Immortalized. Oh, is that supposed to sip yet? Uh, uh, dude, you can do whatever, do whatever you, want. you want, man. We it's normally say tasty, cheers. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, cheers, oh, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, uh, so you can do your Sisyphus is the guy who had to roll the boulder up the hill over and over again. Yes. And every time, oh, every time he gets yes. to the top, it falls back down. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah. actually punished by Hades, Greek mythology, punished by Hades to like roll this boulder up the hill for mm. all of time. Um, because, because Sisyphus cheated death twice. Wow. So Hades punished him for cheating him out of his soul. Anyways, um, How I don't did he know. Cheat death. Well, do you, do you know um, uh, man, I don't. I can't mythology. remember all my Greek mythology. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, not that good. I think he's like a. I think he's like. <laughs> wasn't he like a hero, a demigod? I don't know. Um, working in the hill country from a foundation of time-honored brewing tradition, real ale believes minimal processing produces maximum flavor. Real ale brewing company. Blanco, Texas. Blanco, Blanco, Texas. Blanco, Blanco. Blanco. Uh, bottled on February twentieth. It's been in the fridge for a little while. February twentieth uh, of what year? Oh, this year. Sorry, yeah. Cool. Th- this thing could have aged five okay. years. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so you didn't go very deep in the cellar, then, did you, my guy? Well, you've been uh, tapping me out. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> um, so let's give it a nose. What do you think? What do you smell? Well, Andre already told us it's delicious. Well, let's. What do you give me? Give me a nose. What do you smell? What's it look like? Color's beautiful. Color's yeah. it's a barley wine, right? So yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be hazy. Yeah, it's gonna thick. be thick. Yeah, it's gonna be thick. ambery. I do got some yeah. floaties in there. Some little malt floaties are in there. Or um, I mean, not malt. What's the other one? Yeah, yeast. Little yeast floaties yeah. in there. Well, it doesn't smell so so. So you get the citrus note, but it's more like a candy. Yeah, yeah, and also more like a uh, like an apricot. Apricot. Not, a, not not a I get ooh, that. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Not not necessarily like a, you know, a harsh like orange or oh, no. lime. You know, it's like a this a it's not IPA, is it? Uh it's a barley wine. So oh, it's okay. just a ton of malt. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, well, and I will tell you, in some of these barley wines, uh it's pretty easy to smell and taste the yeast. Yes. Which I appreciate because that's a lost flavor. I don't know that this one will be like that. Um, I got some nice floaties in here too. Yeah, exactly. So let's yeah. go ahead and uh, give it a sip. Cheers, friends. Cheers, friends. Cheers. Mm, distance cheers. There it is. Mm-hmm. Barley wine is my favorite style of beer. That is excellent. It has a little less maltiness. The thing is, uh, man, it would be so much better like two years from now because you still have a lot of the bitterness yeah. off the hops. Mm-hmm. And so the malt. Yeah. Uh, which is good. I mean, that's, you know, this is what you want if you're opening character. it up six it's months yeah. after it's been bottled. It's character. Uh, any other thoughts from you two? You don't taste the, there's, it's not hot. You don't, mm. t- it's not boozy not in, in the, in the flavor though. Yeah. If you're gonna uh, buy this beer, I would suggest aging it. It would get a much better score if it was aged. Um, I, I think, and I actually think this bear, this beer would age very well. Oh, it would. Um, it, 
and honestly, it kind of needs it. It needs to mellow a little bit. Um, but only on the hops. Like, I don't think it needs some 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 beers I, that yeah. need to be aged need to mellow on the alcohol. This one isn't that. I enjoy this beer, man. I th- I, th- I think it's. I mean, I don't know, man. I th- I think it's great where it is. Yeah. You drink much barley? Have you drank much barley wines in your beer drinking I mean, journey? I mean, I, I think I, I drank a lot more beer earlier in my life. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then later. But for me, I'm like, I can I can enjoy this beer. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'd be, I mean, I think, you know, wine, so so similar to wine, I feel yes. like beer, there's a there's a beauty in the stages. And so yeah. sometimes it's just like, you know, an early stage beer or, you know, just bottled beer kind of has, yeah, you can, you can age it, but also has that, you know, it's just like, this is what it tastes like. Right, yeah. right, right, right. As a, as a youthful yeah beer so i don't know man i uh, like i like barley wines across the spectrum old and new yeah. like like freshly bottled freshly mm-hmm. tapped and and like you know eight years old pa- yeah. you know well, past its prime yeah there's some <laughs> of, like saint arnold if you ever go to saint arnold's brewery they won't ever have it on tap but if you go to the bar you can ask for what they have in their bishop barrel series yeah and most of the time it's not always but most of the time those are barley wines um and if you're willing to spend like 15 bucks per beer, you should, you can get <laughs> one of the really old ones. It's that's so good. Like the number five or six that is still around and it'll have been aged like three or four years so and good. it'll be fantabulous. And you're going to leave drunk. Um, anybody, <laughs> anybody want to guess the food pairings that real L suggests for this barley one? Some kind of bratwurst. I bet uh, 75 IBUs, original gravity 24. Yeah. I bet they recommend some kind of bratwurst. Thoughts, Dre? That's a fun little guess. Or sausage, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I could see. Uh, yeah, Maybe I could see it. What would What would you put in the oven with this? What would you put in the uh, wood fired uh, oven? Yeah, man, I probably would put. I probably, I mean, I probably would put you know, kind of a little, uh, a little roast. Oh, that little picanha roast from the yeah, other day yeah, that you yeah, that yeah. you didn't bring us any leftovers <laughs> of. <laughs> Probably put a probably probably smoke a roast with this. Yeah, some, some smoked oh meats of sorts. Some good some good fatty meats. Yeah. Um Okay, so the I think cordon bleu. That's what I would make. Oh, that's a complex dish for that a is. complex beer. I like that. <laughs> uh, food pairings suggested by Real Ale include creme brulee. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah, Does it sure. say something about blue cheese? That's yes. why I thought about the cordon bleu and blue cheese. Yeah, there well, we go. Cordon bleu ain't got no blue cheese in it, boy. Well, I know, but that's why I just thought about the cordon bleu because it does have cheese in it. I was like, this would go good with some fatty, base good foods. fatty food. That's why I said sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all. F- oh, we got to rate the beer. So one of the things that we do, Dre, is we rate the beer on a scale of one to ten. <clears throat> so and cullen says if you don't use a decimal point you're a rookie i don't it's know what just that a means. Rookie score. that's dumb so I, I intentionally don't use decimal points just to drive him crazy bullshit <clears throat> bullshit about half the time you use watch decimal me, points. watch me do it again i give this beer a i'm gonna give it an eight because i've had it uh at various ages on mm. uh, through various means bottle and tap i know this beer well i love this beer i'm a barley wine fan it's getting an eight from me Eight. Yeah. Dre? Um, I'll do an 8.6 rounded to a nine. Ooh, oh, and he said, I'm going to give you He's a decimal, but yeah. I'm going to round up. <laughs> Dre, right. you know what? You're the first person to come here and think outside the box in that kind of way. So mm. I appreciate the score. Uh, I'm 6'4. I don't actually think it's that great. I think it needs to age a little bit, a little bit more. I think it's kind of harsh on the malt. The yeast that you smell uh, is lost. Wait, what was your score? I missed it. 
What was it's it? Like six four. four. Six four. Last time I bring you a good beer. No, I just think it it I it's too um harsh and um abrasive right now. It needs to age to mellow a little bit, I think. Interesting. I've I've had it aged and it is better. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna argue with you. But I is mean, it, it harsh? Is, it, no, that, I don't think abrasive. it's harsh. I don't think it, I don't think it's abrasive either. I, I, I like I, I. One of the things I appreciate about this beer not being aged is that it's not it it does it's not too booze it's not too alcoholic it's not too um it's not too hot that's what I'm looking for um and I don't know it feels really I think well it's very like what I mean by abrasive is like I think there are very clearly defined flavors yes that show up at the exact same point throughout your palate with every drink oh okay okay and that's yeah. why it's abrasive it I got doesn't you. mellow and those markers are always you. there at each sure. three phases of your palate I hear you I hear you that's that's a fair assessment all right, uh, so Dre, I, I would like to welcome you as the second, no, third, the third guest on this podcast. Thank well, you. Well, third, third guest since on the third microphone. Yeah, on yeah, the third. We've mic. had some other guests, but it's fair. Was just without Adam. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, gotcha, before okay. my time, before my time. Yeah, um, sure. So uh, we're excited about doing this kind of stuff, just bringing in other voices, um, because you know the last thing the world needs is just two white guys drinking craft beer talking about theology <laughs> on the internet. Theo Bros, I've learned that term. Yeah. I did not Theo know that we were called man. Theo Bros. Hey, but I'm a liberal Theo Bro. Is different. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pro-choice and 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 pro-LGBTQIA. Oh, so take that, man. Theo Bros. <laughs> Bro. Doesn't matter. Anti guns. It doesn't know. matter who was right no. about the Eucharist, guys. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's a anyways. Um, so uh we've invited Andre on because Andre is also a trained theologian like the rest of us. Uh he is a former pastor who has pastored, um, I'm gonna say it like this, all over the country. That's true. Uh, and true. um uh uh is probably look, this is my thing about Andre Franklin. He is one of I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna gush. All right, bro. Let's he go. is one of the wisest individuals. He is one of the most uh chill individuals. He's one of the most um down to earth individuals and one of the most uh uh, uh um um well rounded worldview having individuals that I have ever met. He he is a wordsmith, uh, and he is um if there's not very many people in this city that I roll around with that know more people than I do. Andre knows <laughs> Andre, yeah. everyone. And when Andre and I go out, one of us is going to see somebody we know. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's going to be Andre <laughs> um, because he is the most, one of the most connected well people connected, I know. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, so it also helps that he's one of our best friends. Yes. Mm -hmm. We, uh, the first time I remember meeting Andre, we were sitting right next to each other in a Ben Blackwell class. <laughs> Uh, we sat right next to each other and I was like, Hey, I'm Adam. He was like, Hey, I'm Andre. I was like, cool, cool, cool. And he's like, I, I don't remember what our first conversation was, but the one thing I remember was like, you're like, yeah, I've only been a Christian for like two weeks or like something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I remember was, my first conversation with Andre was, it was like, Oh, Hey bro, where you go to church? And that button was up, that top button was on the <laughs> button. And I was like, I think I know this answer. And he's like, oh, like, let's see it, bro. I was like, I uh, fucking yeah. knew it. <laughs> That's the top button. Give it, the, the give it, it all. <laughs> I know people that when you roll up, you know, they'd be coming from a coffee shop or something. They'd be having the a meeting. Button. They roll up in Equity's parking lot and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh man that's funny top button no time bro that I mean. is hilarious um yeah so we spent multiple i mean we've 
done all sorts yeah. of theology together. Yeah. Um, yeah, various yeah. classes, various conversations. So we thought it'd be great to bring him on uh, and talk about contextual theology. So the last guest we had on uh, was someone named Hannah Smith, who um, is was a colleague of mine in, in grad school. Um, and she, at one point in those three episodes we did with her, she brought up the idea, like she's big on folk theology. Mm. And so I kind of, I kind of just asked her and, um, not, not pushed back, but I was just kind of like, what do you mean by that? Because Andre, in my mind, my theological background, my, well, I guess I should say my religious background. Um, Mm. but, and then my, uh, academic professional academic theological training, um, folk theology to me had a negative connotation. And so when she started talking about it, I was like, wait a second, can you explain to me what you mean by that? And she was like, oh, it's so interesting that you have a negative connotation for folk theology. I have a very positive connotation for Mm. it. So we kind of got into that, watched the former episode. Uh, But her primary point was that all theology that is worth a darn, that Mm. is that is applicable in any way, that is that is actually worth doing, thinking, feeling, you know, et cetera, uh, has to be contextualized. Sure. And so all good theology is folk theology. Well, mm. and I also there there's a great point that she made that that I want to highlight. And it's it's because, you know, if Christianity were going to have a major uh, critique, at least in the way it exists today, is that white Christians have bastardized and colonized a religion of Jewish oppressed people. Yeah. Like if, if we're just going to be honest and call it what it is, that's what it is. And so what she said was any spirituality that's not folk spirituality is appropriated. Is appropriation. Spirituality, which I thought was really, really brilliant. I thought that was a great way to communicate that because it, it is, we have colonized and bastardized mm. a religion and then appropriated it to our own settings. And so when she was speaking, I was like, wait, my theology is folk. Like my spirituality Mm. is folk, but it's not. And immediately where my mind went when I was listening to her talk, we don't have it up here because I'm actually rereading it right now, but um, rescuing the gospel from the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. Like that is Richard's entire point. Uh, Is that you colonize. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. ahead. So that's our thought process for the conversation. That's why we brought Andre on. No, you're good. Now, I think the, because uh, I mean, we, bro, syncretism was the word you don't use at HBU. It was, uh, th- that was just a doctrine of demons. <laughs> it was the doctrine of demons. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting, man, because I think, uh, yeah, Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys is a great book. Um, you know, pub that for a little bit. But I think there's, there's so many other ideas. I think Willie Jennings, After Whiteness, I think uh, The Christian Imagination, you have that right there. Yeah, that's the, like, yeah. I think there's so many books that really get into the idea of very localized uh, theology. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's not all white people, right? Sure. But, but I do think that there is, you know, should be a conversation about what colonization looked like or yeah. what evangelism looked like. Because, because I think that, they, that those two were meshed together at a point. And I think that's what Richard Twist is kind of yeah. getting at when you have the first, you know, missionaries to come through and essentially demonize local or folk practices yeah. Yeah. and yeah. say, these are not of God. Right. And so, you know, I think for the longest, when you think about evangelism, it, it yeah, if you're not careful, it becomes assimilation. Yeah. And it becomes this idea of assimilation by force. Yeah. Uh, especially within our context. As is there, see. is there a version of evangelism that isn't assimilation by force? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I think the idea of evangelism is, is 
I think it is tainted. <laughs> I, I do think there can be a new imagination for it. Okay. But I do think it is tainted in a way of like how closely tied it was to like almost like a Constantinian approach. You know, it's like, a, yeah, it's like a, we, it's a tool of political power. Yes. Yeah. We have, we have, Brutally beaten your army, right? Yeah. Killed your killed your family members. Now accept our God, yeah. accept our religion. <laughs> it's like we've told you our God is more powerful. You know, it's like I don't know if that's the right foot. We want to start off, yeah, but like that. Like, what good news? <laughs> well, I think so. This is a great point. If you look throughout, like antiquity at religion mm-hmm. and, and interfaith conversations, a lot of it was about whose God is more fearful sure. and like whose God is more powerful. Who's going to win the war, man? Right, and to be feared. And so then I think when you progress history up to, you know, like uh, American uh, independence and development and push, uh, evangelism somehow got intimately connected to like manifest destiny. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, we're going to win the West with Jesus (laughs) and we're going to go kill all the Native Americans and, you know, any of the Spanish that are left over here. We're just going to take all of this. Oh, bro, they weren't killing them. They were they were uh, bringing them. uh, They they were they were de uh, what do you call uh, uh, humanizing? Well, uh, but um, 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 Nate. Oh, sorry, man. I'm I'm losing the term. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What do you call what do you call people? What, what's the term when you call people and they're like barbaric, barber? Uh, no, I don't know. Anyways, Barbar- barbarism. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Moving on. Yeah. Moving on. Well, sure. I think yeah, Richard and and that's why I'm rereading that book is because I think Richard makes a great point. I mean, maybe the synopsis of the second half of this book is like, dude, if you would have just gave us the broad strokes of Jesus, mm-hmm. it would have already fit really well yes. in our natural theological construct. Well, which is you know, there's there's two points I think because Kelly Brown Douglas wrote a book called Stand Your Ground. Right. And Kelly Brown Douglas, Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, my gosh, uh, Jesus has a plethora of, of, of works that just whoever she, you know, I mean, whatever she touches turns to gold, man. Mm-hmm. And for me, it really was helpful uh, because she broke down and not a lot of people see the connection. But in, in yeah. her book called Stand Your Ground, she broke down at the very beginning this idea of Anglo-Saxonism mm. and how uh, Western Christianity, Western world, but Western Christianity is steeped in this idea of Anglo-Saxonism. And so what we see is kind of, um, you know, the founding fathers and the ideas of those who kind of took parts of Christianity um, that were in love with mm. the idea of Anglo-Saxon culture. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened was you begin to see that, uh, and I mean, we, we had this conversation, who's the new Israel. We had right, a lot, yeah. we had, you had a lot of those conversations, right. and, which is like a, a, such an American conversation. Absolutely. Like, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, but anyways, I of think. Of course we yeah. want to take something that's clearly not ours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like, bro, it's like, yeah, I don't know why this is a question, but like, <laughs> but like the, the idea, uh, stemmed from. Uh, manifest destiny okay. and so a lot of yeah. what we know of like uh jonathan edwards or yeah. uh, even a john calvin yeah with this idea of manifest destiny god has given us this land for you know whatever purposes right yeah. which was like a total interesting idea because it was like theoretically americans were running from being persecuted yeah. and wanting freedom of religion and experience and then find themselves in a land that is not theirs right. and steal, kill, and destroy Ooh. and say it's God. That sounds right. like somebody else described in the Bible, <laughs> killing, stealing, and destroying. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's interesting uh, uh, just because I've the very Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas mm-hmm. uh, is Episcopalian. Yes, she is. Well, yes. And she's she's that union. And, well, well, she, which she's, is, she's, uh, well, so, yeah. Yes. We could come back around to that because I think that's a greater conversation about mm-hmm. folk spirituality and contextualized theology and connecting this entire conversation to liberation theology, which we might do on the next, next one. one. But here's, here's a point I wanted to make, though. So it's interesting that her work is around that because she's a part of a denomination that is like the American... It's an extremely European <laughs> manifest destiny <laughs> yeah. white. It's America's representation of England's religion. Well, yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, exactly what they're it is. still part of the the um, the Anglican Church, right? Yes. I mean, it's like loosely connected because they don't answer to the same authoritarian figure. But yes, they don't. Oh, anyways, um, the Episcopal Church doesn't answer mm. to the King of England, not or the Queen, like oh, the, the way yeah, that the Anglican yeah, Church yeah. does. Okay, the Episcopal has an so, American like representative. The monarch of England is not the the high like the highest authority in the uh, Episcopalian Church. No, only in the Anglican Church. Oh. That's the That's difference. The theology, Take that, the Charles. doctrine, all of it's all the same. But it's like you yeah. remember who was the who was the guy Thomas of Canterbury or Thomas whatever the guy that did the Book of Common Prayer. Oh yeah, uh, Cromwell. I, I can't no, remember his name. Whatever know. he was, Thomas something. The guy that did the Book of Common Prayer acted as this like second archbishop yeah. figure. Well, mm. that person ends up basically being the head of the Episcopal Church. Yeah, it's what's his name now? The little, yeah. the bald little white guy. I forget his name. The, uh, uh, Thomas Arch- Cranmer. Cranmer. Uh, yeah. Archbishop. Um, of that's the guy yeah. that wrote the common yeah, book, common, book, common yeah. prayer. Good book, common prayer. Anyways, yeah. uh, we were talking about contextual theology. Folk. Okay, so what do you think about this idea that all all theology is like folk religion? Like, would, yeah. so or should be? And I think her purpose was someone can have a, a theology that's not folk. But it's appropriated and it's not embodied because it can't oh, be true well to who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that I think I think those are the components. Um, I think those are the components for uh, a, a good theology. Um, I think Jesus showed us what literal embodied theology uh, and also contextualized theology meant. Because I think you know, and and this is this is where I I, I hope you know, uh, young, younger theologians or people that continue to come up and be in within this, you know, realm of, I mean, now kind of theological influencer vibes. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I think the anti-Semitism is so, is so prevalent within our theology that we miss. Cause cause, you know, yeah, the idea that, you know, that a phrase would come out of our mouth of like, Oh, the Jews killed Jesus. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just so ghastly for me because it's like, we we know that Jesus was like he didn't he didn't hate everybody. Yeah. He was like yeah. like this was his community. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so like if you're in the space and you're having these conversations yeah. and you're hyper contextualizing the stories, the parables, hyper contextualizing mm-hmm. your stories, then this idea of very local framework theology yeah. is so important uh, to be able to communicate clearly and effectively. And I think you know, yeah, I I, I don't think. You know, yeah, maybe this is controversial, but I don't think it can necessarily be um, that sometimes, yeah, like theology and local frameworks can be universally accepted sure. or, or received. Yeah. So there was. Um, uh, yeah, I have so many thoughts. Well, OK, actually, so this okay, is a great point. I think maybe. How do you think the Enlightenment and the philosophical Ugh. movement of toward like mm-hmm. science to one truth 
pushed this like evangelical manifest destiny thought process of like colonizing religion. Yeah, man. Um, there, yeah. Uh, there's so many people, you know, I would say more qualified than me to speak on this, but I think there's so many, you know, I mean, you got historians, you have, you know, yeah. theologians, you have a lot of, uh, layers and narratives and, and stories we live into as humans. And I think, um, a lot of our stories are conflicting. Mm. And so when you have, I mean, uh, I, uh, a couple of days ago I was watching, uh, you could tell them on social media too much, maybe yeah. but like, we're all uh, chronically. Online. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Golly sucked into the matrix. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I love but, it though. <laughs> to the machine. But yeah, no, I was, uh, I was this watching the man with, uh, uh, with open AI, just like <laughs> on his lap. <laughs> hey, look, I do the same thing. By the way, you know, too, all right, bro. But, uh, uh, I actually watched the episode about open AI and, uh, the anyways, anyways. <laughs> rabbit hole, rabbit hole, um, different podcast. Uh, but yeah, no, I was, um, uh, now I lost my train of thought. Adam. Oh, sorry. Uh, That's how it goes. That's how it goes around. But here. no, I was, uh, what was I thinking? Of? What was I talking about? Man, Give me, we were talking about the enlightenment. Oh, enlightenment. Yeah, sure. So like, you know, when you look at uh, James K. Smith, right? You okay. know, I think, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Charles Taylor, his translation, how yep. to not be secular. Uh, I think, you know, that book was, I think that book was great for a framework. Um, uh, he kind of deduced a lot of, you know, Charles Taylor's works, but I think what he said that kind of stuck with me was the ghost of transcendence. Oh, and I okay. think how, uh, like, um, yeah, like, a, a, you know, the, I think there was a quote from uh, somebody within the book that said, uh, I don't believe in God, but I miss him or something like that. Oh, along yeah, those yeah. words, yeah, along those lines. And oh, so it's this idea of like, I resonate with that. Yeah, <laughs> but and it was like this, this interesting idea um, of of distance, you oh, know, that yeah. God was God was around. The spirit was around, but there was a distance. Interesting. And I think so much of our theology is that, is this distanced uh, and lack of embodiment and lack of, uh, I would even say confidence that we can embody what we believe uh, within our world. And I think that's where the dissonance sometimes comes from. You know what? I think, I think this, uh, I love the way you communicated that. Cause I think that's a true statement across any meta narrative that we try to come up with in the U S cause you could take that same worldview and characteristic of the history of its development and lay it right over American politics. What do you mean? That, say more. Yeah, say more. That, that yeah, the yeah, truth yeah. that the, the truth that there's like one universal way that we can lay oh, yeah, over yeah, yeah. someone's belief, yes. and then they can then believe that but not embody that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now we live in an America of a two party system where nobody is represented by those two parties for the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. There are extremes on the other end where they try to take extremes and the truth, like this this universal truth, and lay it over every person. And it the world just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. That can't be embodied. Yeah, and I think well, that's Hannah's point. I it is, and I think mm -hmm. the other she's a chaplain too, so she's like in yeah, bro, in yeah. hospital rooms every I, day. I followed her on Instagram after after uh, yeah. told me about. <laughs> she's she's awesome. She's man. great. She's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it, here's the other thing, man. So when I was a pastor, so we're all former pastors mm -hmm. here, right? When I was a pastor, and when I was in, you know, uh, formal theological education, 
there really is this constant mm, temptation, pressure, but also at the same time, like very much desire to be the biggest freaking nerd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's yes. also driven by like the the educational, like, look, I'm not. It depends on what circle you're in. Okay, I, I know, I know. you, hold Hannah on, on. feel that way from her hold circle. On, hold on, okay, I know, I know, I know, I know. There, there's nuance to what I'm about to say, but I, I think like in the broader conservative evangelical pastor church mm, set mm-hmm. group, there is this idea that if you can articulate the most church history theology <laughs> and Bible, and you can you can uh, connect that with the most like arcane, ancient, freaking, um, you know, whatever interpret- cultural connection to today, and then yeah. like and then yeah, like yeah. talk about like the Temple Mount and like yeah. um and and like the sacrifice of the doves and like do all this exegesis. You can exegete your way through a passage or a theological concept in front of a congregation only to get to some political mm-hmm. uh, identity politic uh, point. And then everybody feels like they have had this like really deep Christian connection and theological education when really it's just some random white dude standing up there trying to be the biggest nerd in the room. No, tra- dude. It's pompous rhetoric to convince people of an ancient way of doing religion for the purpose of controlling the way they view the world politically. An economic gain. Yeah. <laughs> An yeah. economic gain. And so, but that's the same thing because a lack of emphasis on contextualization and, and this, mm. you know, Hannah's yeah. folk religion, a lack of emphasis on contextualization will always lead to this like lofty intellectual yeah. other mm. place of like, let's explore. It's Gnosticism. It, but it's not. it's like a higher knowledge gets you the ticket in kind of okay. thing. Yeah, secret and, secret knowledge and, gets and, you in. And yeah, here's sure. how I know that America never contextualized the ancient religion that they bastardized and appropriated. Because if you would have looked at that context, if you would have looked at that context, caring for the person hurting next to you was the most important thing. Do you? And nobody talks about that. Isn't that like the story of the Old Testament too? Like, isn't it the yes. fact that like God's people just like never understand how to take care yeah. of their neighbor or, or, or the, the foreigner the stranger, my god yeah. Yeah. The to anyone that is watching this that has ever voted for greg abbott i'm sorry can <laughs> no. we can we please have a conversation about how you connect Go that, that is a christian vote when he's telling dps officers to kick adolescent children back in the river where they're going to drown and, and get cut up by barrels of razor wire Dude. Republicans are not pro-life Preg- i i do not understand this that is that's bastardizing colonized religion Pregnant women miscarrying in razor wire as Texas nasty river water miscarrying in razor wire as Texas law enforcement officials with all the tools that they need to help that individual look on and just can't do anything because Greg Abbott, (sighs) his personal police force was instructed not to help. Tell us what to do, Dre. (laughs) Tell us how to cope. Tell us how to cope with this, uh, this version of Christianity that has a stranglehold on our culture. You know, Terry and I, I mean, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. We were talking about um, the idea of, uh, I think Obama said something this is maybe three or four years ago, but he was like, essentially he was saying, we, we have to stop convincing people who already believe like us. Mm. Um, like, like a lot of what we do is an echo chamber in the church. We feel this yeah, 100%, right? for sure. And so like, so like, let, like, For instance, right, like I, uh, yeah, one of the churches I was a pastor of, uh, it just was like everything was cool inside the church, but like outside the church, nobody cared. Yeah. But inside the church, everybody was like, nah, everybody loves us. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think so much of how we navigate our world, man, is like, how do we, what is kind of, what is the ethic we live by? Mm-hmm. And I think like, I think being angry is okay. Like, I think those things are okay, but it's like, how do we navigate and move forward? And so is it like, and I think that's, I think that's one of the things that Jesus I think that's one of the things that uh, fundamentalists and also liberals struggle with with Jesus. Like, I think that's a tough one Yeah. where it's like he, he, he wasn't middle ground, but he found a way to navigate and converse with all people. Right. Yeah, sure. Sure. And I think there's this, this weird tension with, with Jesus in doing that. And so it's like, how do we, how do we live a life in a, in, in a world where like, they're just, People live in in in, in different stories. Yeah. Stories well, I think, life. Okay. So th- I think this is my point. It takes a lot of humility, though, to get to that point, Dre, to I understand agree. that other people are living well, different that's stories. That's the point. Sorry. Okay. So actually, uh, I'm about to give a reference, and I think this will be a great exercise because we were all in the room the first time we heard this. Oh. Um, you took preaching right. with us, right? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh. Who was Man. who was in the, the group of four too. that we were was, preaching was, on the same was. day and we all had like purple socks or we we made a bet Alex to, Alex Solario. No, I had purple socks and <laughs> you I, had purple socks had, and uh, we made a bet uh, that we could all include purple royalty in our sermons or no, something. No, no, no. no. The, the, the bet was the the three <laughs> the the three people, myself included, four people, but the four people preaching that day had to work in my purple socks into each sermon. Oh, that's right. And I was preaching that day too. <laughs> it was I me, did it. you, yeah. Alex Solario, and I don't think it was no, Andre. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. There was oh Tyler Ballard. Tyler Ballard was he okay. Yeah. So, anyways, we're in this class and Adam, I don't remember how he got stuck with it, but he ends up preaching the text. How do you um, remember this, man? He ends up preaching the text, uh, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and yeah. unto God's what is God. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Adam had this great line in there, and I've since stolen the line. Uh-oh. Um, I don't even remember what I said. What in the scene is God's? What in the scene no, 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 bears no. the image of God? The image. If the coin uh, the bears image. the image of Caesar, what bears the, what image, of bears the image of God? Ooh. The people. Give the to, people are the only thing that bear the image of God. Give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm. Anybody ever heard that sermon preached that way? I mean, I had never before that moment. I preached it that way several times. And you know I'm what? I, I can guarantee you that if you have, it wasn't replicated in the rest of the theological overview of the church. Because if people really care about the human, they'll quit treating the humans the way they treat them. Uh, look at you contextualizing mm-hmm. that's contextualized right yeah. yeah 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 so i took a class with um one of my one of the most influential mentors in my theological journey is a man named dr mike stroop and he was the first person who what really mike? he really helped me understand so he he was like a career missionary and he got he um essentially he resigned but he got fired uh over the whole like con- like controversial takeover at the um I, the international mission board of the Southern Baptist oh, back man. in the nineties. Yeah. He, anyways, so he like, he wouldn't sign their freaking ridiculous document. So he lost his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he's, he has spent the rest of his career the past almost 30 years, uh, training theological students in how to not be assholes <laughs> in, in other parts of the world <laughs> um, and to like accept other human beings. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who really challenged me. He was like, look, your version of Christianity is not the world's version mm-hmm. of Christianity. And he would tell these stories cause he's been all over the world doing all sorts of incredible things. 
he was actually on a chopper with Colin Powell landing in Iraq uh, to to rebuild. Anyways, mm-hmm. so um, and like I will never forget when he told the story of these um these these groups of Hindus in India that he has a personal relationship with that, you know, Hinduism is like a polytheistic religion. Yep, yep, you yep. don't worship Hindu. That's not the thing. Like right. you, you, there's like a pantheon. You worship gods. Well, yes. yeah. Or, or you, or a lot of people have a God, they have a mm-hmm. deity within the pantheon that they okay. primarily yeah. uh, relate with or worship or pray to or whatever. And so um, there's like tons of Hindus who have selected the deity of the Jesus of the, of the Bible. Um, but they don't call themselves Christians, mm-hmm. uh, but they definitely worship the the Jesus of the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, and, but they use different language. They use different contexts. They use different iconography. They use different literally everything. But yeah. when you ask them who their Lord and Savior is, <laughs> it's Jesus. they say Jesus. Yeah. Now, now, they also think that like there are there's a pantheon of many other gods. They're yeah. definitely polytheistic, mm-hmm. but they have this. De- and so they refer to themselves as not Christians, uh, but as devotees mm. of, of oh, Jesus. They made their own category. Well, it's just the language that yeah. Yeah. that's, that's the language that they use in their, in their yeah. context. This is plural. And plural so now, and friend. so Mike Stroop does not refer to himself as a Christian yeah, or, yeah, or, or, or a follower of Jesus or a, a or a warrior for Christ. Mm. He, re- he refers to himself only as a devotee of Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm like, yes, now that, off, King. now that now that is how you contextualize yeah because because when you get to that point you can say if i'm a devotee of this person you don't even have to hold that jesus was like a, a historical figure at that yeah, point. yeah yeah you yeah. just hold that he, he he was an example of a, of a life of a ministry mm-hmm. of a love of a care a concern a sacrifice for those who were his neighbors and the strangers and all those things and and you're just devoting yourself to that same practice of that life. way yeah. yeah, it's a way, that way. the way uh, to take it out of acts. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that like I'm con- that convinces. I think that's why I still refer to myself as a Christian, because I yeah. think that that is well, the apparently context. you should refer to yourself as a devotee, a devotee, <laughs> yeah, a devotee of yeah. Jesus. You know, to 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 go go back to the point of whenever you were talking about um, kind of the the idea of Gnosticism or the idea of there are, you know, a trained few people that can, you know, hold a, a platform with yeah, yeah, church yeah. or whatever right. it might be. And, uh, you know, Willie Jennings has the book called After Whiteness. But what he talks about is that he talks about Christian. He's talking about Christian education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. And so, come on. so, so it's, it's, uh, it's all it, white guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Come on. Well, so, so it's, it's the, you know, desiring God, you know, the yeah, James, yeah, James, yeah. James the, Matthew, Henry, yeah. the black, yeah, come yeah. on. And so all those things, whenever, you know, and I, I remember reading James K. Smith, I thought was really, you know, impactful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think allowed me to understand even how more impactful I thought the works for sure. from Willie Jennings were after whiteness and the Christian imagination. But what he says is all Christian formation is shaping um, what the, the goal of formation is shaping a white self-sufficient male. Oof. And he says, hold on, say that one more yeah, time. So, say that again. That's yeah. too good. So, so he's saying the goal of a lot of Christian education, yep. I think he would probably even say most Christian education this is, good. Uh, is shaping the white self-sufficient male. Because yeah. what he was finding uh, whenever he was a dean of theology at Yale, Yale, he was finding a lot of people were coming 
uh, that looked, you know, that were black or brown or there were women and they were coming and they were dissatisfied with the experience. Because the theology they were handed was not contextual. Yeah. They were given a white man's theology. Yeah. And it's they, not embodied. And so, yeah. And so, so, yeah. Yes. And so the goal. So, and this is why I love, you know, uh, I really love a lot of black theologians. One, because yeah. I think they, they saved me yeah. from, yeah. from exiting a religion that I think, um, we don't talk about the historical context that is really That's shaded good. in black yeah. and brown I enough. Hear you. I hear you. And so I felt displaced uh, yeah. as opposed to, you know, being belonging. Right. And so what he was talking about is that he started off with colonization. He talked about how there were a couple things that the colonizers wanted to know about the new lands they have founded. The new lands, the new, yeah, new, new yeah. discovered. Hey, yeah. 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 Cause nobody's yeah, been yeah. living on them for right. 20,000 yeah. years. Right. <laughs> there weren't people on them. No, <laughs> they were just blank canvases. That is what you call <laughs> dehumanization. Yeah. Yes. That is yeah. what you call uh, colonization. <laughs> And so, and so I, th I think I, I'm going to mix this up, but I think what he was saying was whenever they saw the lands, they were like, wow, these are beautiful. Mm. Um, a couple things. I want to, um, I want to know more about this and I want to know essentially how I can exploit this. Uh -huh. How can I use it? Right. Yeah. And so then he goes further in the book and he talks about how we think about land as commodities, not belonging, right. not place of being right. in home. Right. And this is who we are as a people. This right. is our yeah. land. We've been yeah. here for generations. What he talks about is this white self-sufficient male. What that means is you are designed or you are shaped or formed within Christian theological education to possess control and master. Possess, so, control, and master. Yeah. So That's possession, it. control, and mastery. So the idea that the you power would, dynamic, man. Yeah, that was it. So that you would possess this knowledge, right? And that you would be able to, you know, that this is who you are. This is what you do. You walk into a room. People know that you possess this idea or energy knowledge about yourself, right? Or about theology and that you would learn to control uh, kind of the uh, dynamics at play, right? Bro. A lot of you know, kind of churches, right? We control our environments, this controlled formation at some level. Yes. Uh, and then mastery, that I would learn how to master, right? And that word is is loaded, but I will learn how to master my uh, trade, my gift. I am the best of the best, right? Bro, bro this is my experience. I need to read mm. this book. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, after writing this is a, I, I think it's, it's very profound. Yeah. And I think, uh, usually it's a shorter book too, which I think is okay. really helpful. Uh, it's Jennings, but, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Willie Jennings. Yeah. yeah, and I think he Willie he James. Really, he really, uh, yeah, he contextualizes well. He no. gives you a lot of language to use. He gives you a framework that I think is really for me. I love James K. Smith, but I think Dr. Willie Jennings really shaped it really well in a yeah. way of. Uh, it was more fluid. It was more human. Sure. It was more applicable. Yeah. Uh, and I think I would even say, you know, at some level helpful for people who are entering from different uh, uh, sections along the path. Sure, sure, sure. Different, traditions, different yeah. traditions. I've read both of those books and I will <laughs> say that it honestly, it really took me taking the year of 2021 and preaching through the book of Acts and reading six or seven different <laughs> acts commentaries side by side sure to really understand that willie james jennings is on his uh, shit. Oh my god, <laughs> well, uh, my god. His, his acts commentary 
was yes. by far the best one I had. And yes. I had Beverly Gavinta. I had uh, <laughs> well, Jennings what's, the, is the, whole... what's the white preacher, William Willimon. I had uh-huh. all kinds of great commentaries yeah. in there. Um, and Willie James Jennings, I felt like took an ancient oppressed people's story and embodied it for himself and, and, and people that viewed the world the way he did mm-hmm. in a way that is just unmatched. Let's um, we need to wrap this episode up because yeah. we're going long. But uh, so, uh, but come back for the next episode. We're going to continue a conversation with Andre Franklin, who's here with us for one more. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, subscribe, share, and I don't know what. Bye. Embody your faith. Embody your faith. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.